the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. It's not a long study. It won't take you more than one sit down if you've got maybe 15, 20 minutes and track the kind of man Philip was and how God all through Scripture, even the times that he kind of did stupid things and didn't have a lot of faith and all of that, Jesus never rebuked Philip. So now you have Philip and now you've got Nathaniel. All right, let's talk a little bit about Nathaniel right here. We talked a little bit about what his name means. And that's not the important thing, but it does say this. He said, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Hmm, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now let's stop for a moment. This is going to get real rich right here. There are some of us here that have been trained in evangelism. We've taken some special courses. We teach evangelism. Some have been saved a long time, so we have been sharing our faith a lot. Even when we do that, I want you to know not everybody we speak the message to comes to faith alone in Christ. And I probably, if the people are honest, and I quizzed them and said, when you get ready to get into the gospel, are you nervous when you do that? I imagine every single one of them would say, no matter how much I know the Bible, no matter how much I know I should read or share Scripture and know the Holy Spirit to help me, every time I get ready to open my mouth to tell someone about Jesus, I get nervous. Wouldn't it be neat if everybody would follow Jesus just like what happens? John says, hey, there's Jesus. Andrew and John runs after him. Andrew and John finds Peter. Peter runs after Jesus. Wouldn't it be neat? All we got to do is just say, hey, there's Jesus. And everybody trusts Christ. Do you know that is so rare when I share the gospel that someone immediately trusts Christ? More of them is like when Philip tells Nathaniel. I say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Well, can any good thing, who is this guy? I don't know anything about him. I don't believe in this Jesus. I always get that pushback from people. How many of you, when you share your faith, you get a pushback from people? Would you raise your hand? Well, I'm going to give you the key. Now, this is very important. It's very simple. Go back to the passage. When you get a pushback from people, look what Philip said to him. He said, didn't answer the question, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He didn't say, here's why, here's a good thing, here's this, here's that, here's this. And I'm going to give you some background in a moment. But he did, he did say this, come and see. So here's what you do with someone who maybe pushes back. doesn't mean you don't give them an answer. But what you do want to do is you want to take them right back to the Word of God. You want to give them answers that are coming from Scripture because your power source is going to be the Bible. This is called a sword. The Holy Spirit, you give the the Holy Spirit his greatest weapon when you give the Holy Spirit the Word of God than to take the Word of God into this lost person so this person then can become a child of God. When you say, come and see. Not come and see where Jesus lived like what city he lives in or what town he lives in or what his house looks like or what kind of donkeys he had. But what he did is he put him right in smack dab, right in front of Jesus Christ. This is who he was. Let's go back to the passage. So what kind of style of evangelism did he use here? I believe he just used the same thing that was used earlier, which was simply personal evangelism. If 
But I think there was a barrier here. It was called the barrier of prejudice. Now follow along and I'm going to go back and explain what I mean. If you'll notice in verse 46 it says, And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. Now you read that. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? What's so big deal about that? Is this just a, a surfacey prejudice? It's really not. Now folks, I need your full attention now because I'm going to give you some more history and some geography. Where was Jesus born? Anybody? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Okay, it took you a moment, didn't it? Chris was a long time ago. All right, born in Bethlehem. All right. However, if you recall, when he fled Bethlehem, where did he go? He went down to Egypt. How long was he there? About two years. When he came back out of Egypt, where did he go then? Well, he went where his mom and dad went. Where was his mom and dad from if he was born in Bethlehem? They weren't from Bethlehem. They were from where, everyone? Nazareth. So he went back up to Nazareth. So he really grew up, mostly, in Nazareth. Yet later on, when you follow the life of Christ, you're going to find that Christ really had a lot of his ministry in and around a place called Capernaum, along with the other guys. But he was from Nazareth. Now you might say, what's so bad about Nazareth? It's just Nazareth. It's very important because Nazareth was very close to a road that often had a lot of military people that would go from one part of the country and countries to another part of the country and countries. I am trying to unpack all of that, but just to tell you. But usually there'd be a stop off there where these guys would kind of water their horses and kind of sit down and have kind of like, like R&R on these long trips. And they would dip down into this tiny little town called Nazareth. So it was like one of those swashbuckling, depraved communities. And I'm not making all you soldiers and military people that way. Just you go with me for a minute, will you? All right. But they would then, the lost guys would go to this town and they'd have all sorts of bad stuff going on, drinking, debauchery, women, all of this kind of stuff. And so Jesus actually came from that town of Nazareth, which at the same time had some ethnic issues going on as well. Now, maybe I could frame it this way for us in these days. It would be like saying, our Jesus, the one we worship, the Son of God, he's from Las Vegas. All right. Or because Las Vegas is so big and Nazareth is so small, we might say, and he's from Reno, you know, like that. Well, in reality, that's why there's a little bit of tension going on here. There was the tension as well because you had the Galileans and the Judeans and all these were kind of, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. The towns are close together with each other. So can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And of course, we know that it certainly can. Now, look back, you will, at verse 45. Now, again, for Jewish evangelism. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Now if you want to, you can circle the word him of whom Moses and the law. So what you're seeing here is that Jesus is found in Moses in the law and also the prophets. So now look up here for a moment. Those of you that know something about the Bible, you're going to know that the Old Testament is divided into groups of books. The first set of books is your first five books, the Pentateuch. We're going to call that the law, okay? The next set of books are your historical books, Joshua, Judges, the First Kings, Second Kings, Chronicles, Samuel, blah, blah, blah. That's your history books. The next books will be called your, your poetical books, which would be your Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, your poetical books. The last set of books are called what, everybody? The prophets, and they're divided into two, major and minors. Now watch with me. When it says here that Jesus was... The Moses Law in Prophets over here, you're saying, what about the historical books? He wasn't in all of that? Yeah, he was. This was a way to say that Jesus is written about from Genesis to Malachi. All from Moses right on through the historical books, the poetical books, into all of the prophets that you can find Jesus everywhere. So that means now that if you want to share the gospel with someone, 
If they're Jewish, then you don't have to be afraid to say, I can show you Jesus even in the Old Testament. Now, some of you are saying, oh, man, I don't know the Old Testament well enough. To, I, I might know that he was born of a virgin. And, yeah, I know he was supposed to be born, you know, and, and die young and all that. I know about that. I know his hands and feet pierced. But I, I don't know how I could show him salvation in the Old Testament. Now, here's what I don't have time for because you guys don't like me to go along. <clears throat> That's a little dig there. <laughs> That's a little stink talk there. But here's what I'd like to offer you. If you will email me, I will give you what I call the plan of salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. Salvation is the person and the work of Christ. But I'm going to give you a seven-step plan. In that, what do you say first, second, third, fourth, seven? I'm going to give you the New Testament reference. Then I'm going to give you the Old Testament reference to each one of those points so you can show salvation just using your Old Testament. If you want it, you can just email me, and I'll send it to you as a word-attached document. My only point right here now is is that, yes, Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament, and he can save. Are you with me? Stay with me. Let's go a little bit further now. Verse 47, And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And when you read that, you think, Why in the world would Jesus say something like that? All right. Most of you know, or some of you might not know, that there are some Old Testament patriarchs. You had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all that. You had those Old Testament patriarchs. After Abraham, you found that some of those patriarchs had particular issues in their life. And a couple of the big issues in their life is that they would lie and they would encourage their wife to lie about certain things. If you know what I'm talking about, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, those of you that couldn't, you don't know it, read your Old Testament, particularly the life of Jacob and Isaac, and you're going to see that. Now, that being said, and by the way, Jacob's name means deceiver anyway, that the Jews had a problem and I'm not marginalizing every Jew, and if you're Jewish listening to me right now, I want you to know I really love you. I'm just explaining why this is saying in this context, okay? Getting back to this now, they did have a problem with those issues of not always being balanced, saying one thing and doing another. Now, if you want me to fast forward it through the Gospels, Jesus Christ often spoke to the Pharisees who were Jewish, and he usually called them what? Hypocrites, which means that they weren't always truthful, okay? They, weren't, they didn't have pure integrity, all right? Now, staying with that... So now he looks over at Nathaniel and he says, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. So what he's really saying is, Hey, that's all right. You can ask me that question. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You're not really asking because you're angry or you're mad or you're mean-spirited or you got guile and deceit and you're trying to trick me. You're just wondering, can any really good thing? I hear about this. I see this, etc. There is no guile. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? That's a genuine question. You just said you knew me. Jesus said, you saw him. Nathanael said, how do you know me? And Jesus said to him, before Philip, remember before Nathanael ever came to Jesus, before Philip called you, in other words, Philip was saved, Nathanael wasn't. Philip's going to Nathanael and he calls him. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now let's stop for a moment. What does it mean by being under the fig tree? All right, you got to go back to the Jewish times. And this might help you a little bit so you understand. The Talmud mostly in other Jewish writings, would encourage men based on an Old Testament reference where men would go off three times a year, often with their son, to have time alone with God with other men. The Talmud then took that and spun it a little bit more and said each man should be alone every day to go through the scripture that was revealed to him, what he knew about God. And usually if they could be alone, they should go out and go underneath the tree. Most guys would choose a fig tree. The reason they chose a fig tree is because a fig tree would have these big branches and would hang down. Probably, this is Ponzism now. Ponzism means I'm just guessing. I think they would often go under there because it was cooler under those trees, a lot more shade. So when they would read, they'd be under the shade. Now, this is not Ponzism. 
Sometimes when they would get underneath these big kind of shade fig trees, it would almost be like a little tent that was there so they could privately read. Now, I don't know if it's to privately read, get really along with God, or they can kind of schnooze while they're reading and nobody would know it. I don't know. I don't think they're reading. All I know is that they had a special time with God. What this is saying is a whole lot about the Lord. Look at the passage now. Get your pens ready. Notice. He says here, I saw you. When it says in verse 47, Behold an Israelite, that is tell, telling me that the Lord, who is sovereign God, knew that Nathaniel had a biographical history in the Jewish tradition. Then it says, And indeed is no guile. He knew the character of Nathaniel. And when it says, I saw you, it doesn't mean he saw him visibly like the Lord goes peeking around a rock and says, Oh, look, I can see between the branches. There's Nathaniel reading. I believe he saw him in his mind's eye because God knows all. Jesus knows all. And he was now looking now at this person. Watch this. And he just didn't see the body under the tree. He saw the body who had a heart under the tree. And it's quite possible that somewhere, now I'm reading a lot into this part now. It's quite possible that Nathaniel, because he had no guile, he was an Israelite, he was under the tree. Maybe there was some outward stuff, but inward in his heart, there was a little bit of a seeking thing going on. And the Lord was just saying, I know you. Now, you can't seek me without me seeking you. And I know there's kind of a tension going on there, but all of that's coming together. And now let me pause and speak to you. The Lord knows your background. He doesn't marginalize you. He knows your character, and he doesn't marginalize you. He even knows your heart. Whether you're here or listening to me on the radio, he knows your heart right now. And he's already died for you on the cross, and you're in your mother's womb because God allowed you to be there. In his own sovereign way, he's bringing this message to you. He wants you to hear this. Could it be that today's the day, like Nathaniel, that you need to trust Christ? Well, let's go back to the passage now. In verse 49, Nathaniel answered and said this to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. All of a sudden, it's not, what kind of a guy is this coming out of Nazareth? Now he goes back to, I don't know this guy. Can any good thing come out of there? To all of a sudden, yeah, he's rabbi. And then he takes it up a notch and he says, and you are the son of God. Which tells me Nathaniel knew a whole lot about the Old Testament because the Messiah is referred to as the son of God many places. And then it says, and you are the king of Israel. I love this. It didn't say you are a son of God. It said you are the son of God. It didn't say you are a king of Israel. It says you are the king of Israel, which could very well mean that you're not only the son of God, you're also my king because I'm part of Israel too. You are the king of Israel. So we're in this thing together. And notice verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Now, your Bible, folks, probably has a question mark there. As I went through this in the Greek, and I tried to go through this in other commentaries, I've come to the conclusion that I do not believe there should be a question mark there. It's usually put in punctuations and sentences and even paragraphs, all that's put in by man anyway. I really think this is a statement of fact. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. In other words, you know that I knew you. Do you believe? You could say, you do believe. Since we've had this dialogue and you know that I know you and you know that, you now believe because you realize that I am who I claim to be. I am a person who does not lie. I am the Son of God. Then he goes on and he adds this. You will see greater things than these. Now, folks, this is why I want you to be here week after week. Get the tapes because I'm going to show you how many miracles, how many greater things the Lord did that Nathaniel was able to see. Now, I'm going to give you a little pause here. Where was the first miracle that Jesus performed? Anybody? Where was it? Where was it? Not what was it. Where was it? 
Canaan, right. What was it? Anybody remember? Water into wine. And where is that found in the Bible? The John chapter 2. All right. We're going to get into that in three weeks from today. Or I don't know about then. We'll start chapter 2 three weeks from today. Greater miracles. But drop down to verse 51, and I want to end with this. Style, again, was personal evangelism. The barrier could have been some deal of prejudice. What would I say this about Nathaniel? I think he was problem-centered. Who are you? What about this? I don't know who you are. All of this kind of stuff. And so he might have been a little bit more problem-centered. But the Lord, what did he do? He just answered his questions. When we do this, we present Jesus Christ to the person. But then Jesus ends this chapter by saying this. Most assuredly, Nathaniel, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, for some of you, you're far enough along to say, I don't understand all about that, but that sounds really cool. That, I could really see God in His glory and the angels and we get off on all of this stuff. But I, I'm not against that, but I think if we took it back to this, it's kind of neat. When you have the time, go back to Genesis chapter 12, about verse 20, and there's the verses around that. And you're going to see that Jacob, one of the patriarchs again, he falls asleep, and then he kind of has this dreamy thing going on. And while he has this, he notices that there's this ladder. The bottom of the ladder is on the earth, and the top of the ladder hits heaven. And up and down on this ladder, angels are coming. I'm not going to try to interpret that. I'm just telling you that's what was happening in the story. We can give you that interpretation later on. But he's seen that. I believe that the Lord, because he's Old Testament, New Testament, is dipping back into that real-life story that Nathaniel obviously would have known about since he was so Jewish, but now he spins it to bring out the dynamic of it. It wasn't just angels going up and down on this. It's, it's not just a ladder. He says the angels are going up and down. doesn't mention ladder in John chapter 1, but he does say the angels are going up and down on me, the Son of God. So probably one way that I think would be the best way to interpret this is that there is only one way for man to get to heaven, and it's a ladder. It's a bridge. And that ladder, that bridge, is none other than Jesus Christ. Now, does Nathaniel know all about this stuff? Probably not. But that's why we come to church. That's why we get into good Bible studies. Because every time we come, we learn a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And as we do, the Bible opens up and becomes more exciting and more real, and it gives us more faith and confidence. So now we're learning. Now, let's stay here. John chapter 1 talks about Jesus being that ladder now. John 14 says, No man comes unto the Father but by me, the ladder, again. It's not by works. It's not by church. It's not by tradition. Get rid of your prejudices. Get rid of your pride. doesn't matter what personality you have, but you do need to come to Christ, and you need to believe. Now, listen very carefully. There are a lot of people that will be aware of this truth and die and go to hell. It's more than just coming to hear truth. It's you purposely coming to the truth and then coming to Jesus Christ, that next step, by faith alone in Him. Now, nine different times in this one chapter, Jesus referred to nine different ways. I put it in your notes so you can get it. If you're on the radio, order the notes or get it offline. But the one He used most frequently in His writings was the Son of Man. I believe because that really refers to Son of God, I know, but the Son of Man... And as he talks about himself being the Son of Man, that would be God as man who went to the cross to die and pay for our sins. And so I pray for all of you. I don't know what style of personality you have. God says that he loves you just the way you are and he's got a wonderful life for you here. But that life really won't be owned 
until you come to him by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Come and follow. Right now, the Lord is saying, come. These guys were saying to their friends and, and, and relatives, come and see. So maybe for you, you need to come. If you're questioning the veracity of Scripture, you come on Sunday morning to our class on we're religions and cults. and We're not here to slam these people. We are here to accentuate the truth and what is the truth. Come to that. Come. See that our faith is not made up on just three points in a poem. It's based upon tremendous amount of research and study by scholars that objectively looked at Scripture and found it to be true. And come and see that in all of this body of truth that Jesus Christ is from cover to cover and the message of salvation by faith alone never changed. The Old Testament people looked to the Messiah to come to pay for sin. The New Testament people lived during part of that time and witnessed it. We'll talk about that on Resurrection Sunday. Since then, people look back to Christ. It's true. Come and see. But now you've got to go a little bit further now. You can see it, but now you've got to believe it. Now you don't have to believe everything about the Bible yet. It's all, we're all growing in our knowledge. But you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord himself who died and shed his blood and rose again. You must accept the fact that you're a sinner and no good deed you do yourself will ever get you into heaven. But it's by faith alone in him. You must also realize the finesse of this. It is not believing in Christ and doing good deeds to get into heaven. It is only by placing your faith in Christ. These men did it. And they changed the world. I pray that you would come, see, believe in Christ, and then follow him for the rest of your life. Those of you who have trusted Christ as your Savior, I can only imagine Andrew and John hearing this message. It's not in the context of Scripture, but good sources say that John went after James, Andrew went after Peter. And so here what I would like to say to you is this. When was the last time you explained the gospel to your family members? When was the last time you on island here invited a family member to church to hear the word of God? Andrew and, and John, they didn't marginalize and say maybe they won't like Jesus, they won't like the way he looks or how he talks or the style of his delivery and all this stuff. They just said, wow, I got to tell somebody. They got to go tell their friends. Next week, is Friends Day. I'm going to unpack John chapter 3, verse 16, word by word, one verse alone. I'm going to have it for you with Hawaiian and English translated, suitable for framing so you can keep it up in your home. You would want your family to hear that. But maybe it's just not your family. Maybe it's a Nathaniel in your life. Someone else you just know, someone you went fishing with, someone you hung around with, a worker, a fellow classmate, a neighbor, a newbie in your life, maybe. You know what I mean by a newbie, don't you? I'm sure you do. 
will you sit back and say they won't like this and they won't like that and all of this? Don't be used as a tool in the hand of Satan to marginalize who or who will not trust Christ because salvation is of the Lord. That's a sovereign God at work. Now, will that person eventually hear? Probably from someone else if you don't, but at the same time, you will be held responsible for not. So I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip. I'm just trying to help all of us to maybe be a little bit more alert to the opportunities. We have come, we have seen, we have believed, we've tasted of that. And now we're following Christ. And probably the best way to follow Him is to bring someone else with us. And so let's bring them next week. And, and you know, if they, they turn you down next week, don't get all bent out. Bring them next week. Then don't get them next week. You know what happens after next week? Resurrection Sunday. Who wouldn't want to come to the beautiful park overlooking the water? Who wouldn't want to come to have a delicious breakfast that you guys will be doing here? Who wouldn't want to come to hear a message here on Easter? My message then will be called, Welcome All You Doubters. And I'm going to open up, oddly enough, the life of Thomas and how it relates to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation again. How many of you first call those of you that are here today that are ready to trust Christ as your Savior. You've come. You've seen this to be truth. You might still have some questions, but you're ready to believe that Jesus is the Lord who died and rose again, and you want to have a relationship with Him forever with sins forgiven in the place called heaven. Would you slip up your hand and let me know if today's the day you're trusting Christ, if that's something you feel comfortable to do. Would you put it up right now? Anyone at all? Never done it before. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.